We know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. All right, good morning, everybody. I'm Bill Stevens, the lead pastor here, and it's so good to, to have you guys here. I love that, you guys. Kids Camp, we're talking about foundation. That's a, all, you were putting foundational pieces into the next generation when those middle schoolers go off for that mission trip. Those foundational pieces for the next generation. And, and when you think of Kids Camp, man, that's foundational pieces. We never you know how far they go. My, one of my favorite stories from this last week, you guys, it's so hard to work in this building when Kids Camp is happening. This is where you just so want an office with a door to shut. Just not because you don't want to be a part of it because you're going, how in the world am I going to prepare a sermon when the kids are loving all that's happening around here? It was a really, really fun week. My favorite moment was um, I had a student of mine in our, in our college ministry from years ago that is, has since grown up and she's gotten married and has some kids now and she brought one of her kids to kids camp. And, and she was talking to me, we were standing there one of the first days of the camp and we're looking over and she goes, he just, this is just an environment that is hard for him. It's hard for him to engage. It's, it, he gets overwhelmed with it all. I walked up to him and I said, hey man, I said, are you having fun today? And he looked at me with that face that kids go, that's such a stupid question. No, I'm not having fun today. You know, it's, he looked at me with that face and I'm like, oh man, I can see it. Yeah, it's hard for him. Three days later, I'm sitting there talking to her and, and, and I said, Kels, how's your kid doing? And, and she, says, she says, Bill, look. And she pointed at him and he's over on one of the playlands. It gets me teared up because he's over in one of the playlands. He's got a big old smile on his face. He's having fun with these other kids. She said the night before, he said, I so love our church. I love our church. I love camp. I can't wait for camp tomorrow. You guys, that's foundational pieces that we don't know how far they go, but man, in his life, who knows if he's going to look back and say it was those days when I was a second and third grader, when I finally wasn't afraid of going to a place. Instead, I found that it was really fun to go to a place and learn about Jesus and have a bunch of fun with other people. That's what's so beautiful about it. So every, like Mo said, all of you that helped make that happen, 52 you volunteers that were out in front of those kids, walking with those kids, the behind the scenes people that helped, helped Kaylee and Terry to make it happen. You guys, we had Ellen, Ellen DeBaker stood in front of the, in front of the church every day, every hour, all week long, making sure that our kids would be safe at camp. Can we thank these, those volunteers again for all that you guys did to make that happen? So so important. It's so imp it's it's not only beautiful, but it's important for the next generation. Okay. Um, one more thing before we get going, just a quick, quick reminder. This afternoon, we have a meeting um, to approve our budget for the next fiscal year that starts in July. If you want to know anything that has to do with our finances of our church, you come to that meeting at four o'clock today. Okay. We have some, we have childcare if you want, if you need help with that, but come at four o'clock and, and you can learn all about it. Ask any questions around our finances and make sure that we're all okay with where we're going to go with the budget for next year. Okay.
All right, let's get started with what God's got, got in, in store for us today. We're in the final, um, final talk of a, of a five-week series we've been doing on the, on the letter that Paul wrote to the people in Ephesus, okay, this, this letter to the Ephesians. It's this really cool story of, of, of Paul coming into this city that was filled with cultural diversity, that was worshiping Roman gods. They were worshiping Greek gods. They were sacrificing animals to those Romans and Greek gods. It was that, that's the city that they were coming into. And Paul walks into that city and says, you guys, you're sacrificing these animals to all these gods. You don't need to do that anymore because there's a sacrifice for you that Jesus Christ sacrificed for you. And because of that, you don't have to have this fearful relationship with God. You get to have an intimate relationship with God, not only in this earth today, but for eternity. And so Paul is, is, is letting them know that. And that began a church in Ephesus. People came around that good news of the gospel of Jesus and they started this church and Paul stayed with them for three years as he unpacked the truth of the gospel with them. After three years, he finally leaves and he goes on to plant other churches. But eventually he gets, he gets thrown in prison for doing that. The Romans didn't like what he was doing. Gets thrown in prison and now he's writing letters back to those churches, some to correct them and, and others to encourage them. And, and this letter to the Ephesians was a letter to encourage them. He knows that what he shared for those three years is going to be met with the forces around him that's going to try to deter them from living this life with Jesus. And so he's going, man, I'm, I got I to gotta encourage you in that. So he writes this letter. The first three chapters is all about the gospel of Jesus, reinforcing and putting those cinder blocks of foundational faith around them. So he's first sharing that. He finishes those first three chapters with that beautiful prayer that we talked about of uh, letting, your, letting your roots run deep into the soil of God's love. And then the next three chapters, it's about how we live in this out. Lindsay Heslop came in this last week. She's the associate pastor at Kindred Church, and she did a phenomenal job unpacking chapter four of Ephesians, where she just said, man, among so many other things and how to live this out, she's going, we might disagree with some of it, but we're not looking for uniformity. We're looking for unity. How do we find common ground around the love of Jesus? And so she said, that's part of our job is to find that common ground and come together in unity. As I'm listening to her just masterfully unpacking that, at the same time, I'm listening to it and I'm thinking about a conversation I had with my brother just the week before. When John is sitting there with me and he says, Bill, what do we do when I don't want to do what the Lord is telling me to do? I don't want to live this out. He's going, unity, what if I don't want to spend eternity with, with that person? What if I disagree with them politically or, or, or socially or whatever? What if I disagree with them? What if I, dis, if I just don't like their take or their stance or whatever they're doing? And, and I, I don't, I don't want to do what God is calling me to do. And we started unpacking that even in a deeper level of so many things that sometimes we just go, I know God wants me to to love everyone and to and invite them into a relationship that would ultimately lead to eternity in their brokenness and in my brokenness. But what do I do when I don't want to do that? What is that? What's keeping us from doing that? And we started talking about, is that something within me? Is that something within them? Is that forces outside of us that's pressing against us? What is that? Why is that so hard to, to, to walk this gospel road and to stay on that track that is the good news of Jesus? Well, Paul 
addresses that with these, these, the, the people of Ephesus in this last chapter that he shares. Okay, so we're going to get into that. Let's pray about that and let's dig right into his, his passage. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word today. If it's things that we don't understand, give us some clarity. If it's things that we don't want to do, give us a push. If it's things that we, we just, we struggle with in your grace, will you walk with us as we unpack your word? It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so he sets out the gospel. He sets it out, how to, how to live it out in our life. And then he says this, it's going to be hard. <laughs> he says, yeah, yeah, here's the gospel and here's how to live it out. But it's going to be hard because I know in this, in this city of yours, I know there will be pressure, pressure to not live it out the way God wants you to live it out. And so then with all of the things that might press against us to receive the love of Jesus and then live out the love of Jesus, he says, here's what I need you to do. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He says, put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And this is important, not against a person. Spend so much time about it being about a person. It's like, man, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, just to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which where you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's such an interesting passage, you guys, because it's one that if you went to, to Sunday school or you went to high school youth group, you learn this passage, put on the armor of God and you're ready for the battle. And so many people have heard the passage, but it might be the most unused passage in all of scripture. Because <laughs> you hear it and you go, that all sounds good. And then we let it sit there. For some of us, we go, I don't I, I, I would rather not have to do the work of putting it on. For others of us, we would say, I don't know why I need to put it on. I don't see why there, what is the forces that are, what are the forces that are against us? And so you don't see a reason to put it on. Paul is saying, man, we got to put it on because there are forces against us. Now, he talks about the devil's schemes. Okay, here we go. Here we go. We're going to start talking about the devil, that little red guy with horns and a cape and guarding hell and all of that, the little devil, okay? See, a lot of us don't even want to talk about that because it sounds fictitious and it sounds, it's, it's too, I got enough trouble trying to wrap my head around the Holy Spirit. I can wrap my head around Jesus, but not the Holy Spirit as much. Some of us might say that, but don't make me even start to wrap my head around an adversary to God. But Paul is saying we've got to put our heads around this adversary because there is an adversary to God. He's not on par with God. And the reason why we know he's not on par is because ultimately, see, the adversary's primary job was to keep us from an eternity of, of, of perfect relationship with God. That's the adversary's primary job. That's what he wanted to do, keep us from that. And Jesus going all the way to the cross, fighting that temptation to not. Jesus going all the way to the cross, dying on the cross, resurre the resurrection, saying death isn't going to win, sin's not going to win, evil's not going to win. No, this perfect relationship with God is going to win. We know that Satan is defeated in that moment. 
And so we know that he's not on par with God, but we know that the adversary is then there to, to stir it up as much as we can to knock us off track. Okay, so that's what he's doing. Now, we might say, I don't understand that. But you guys, this is where we look at it and say that the Bible is, it talks a lot about it. In Jesus' life, we talk a lot about it. So we can't just ignore it. You look at Jesus' life and you just go, man, when he first got started with his ministry, it's the very first thing he did before he, he went out to everybody else and told them about the, the love of God. What is the first thing he did? The first thing he did is went into the desert for 40 days. And, and at the end of that time, hungry and tired, he was tempted by the adversary. What was he tempted to do? When you look at that, you just go, man, he was tempted to not go all the way to the cross. That's what all of that was about. He, basically, the adversary is saying, you have enough power to not have to do this. But Jesus is saying, man, I am going to go and I'm going to do the will of my father. And that begins his ministry. I am going to do the will of my father. And he does his ministry for the next three years. And at the very end of his time, at the end of his time on this earth, now he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And, and here comes the Roman soldiers running in. And here comes G Jesus just walks to the Roman soldiers. Peter jumps out in front of him, cuts off a Roman soldier's ear. And from that point, you know, he's, he's basically Peter saying, let's fight or run or both. We don't have to go through with this. And what's Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Now, is he saying that to Peter? Is he calling Peter Satan? No, remember, our fight is not against flesh and blood. He knows that the adversary's primary job is to keep him from the cross. And so he's saying, get behind me. I know you're tempting me one more time. I'm going to run. Instead, he's saying, no, not my will, but yours be done. And he goes all the way to the cross and to the grave and then has the resurrection. And this is why we celebrate on Easter such a victory because it's a victory over Satan's temptation to not, not have done it. And that now we have life. See, that stuck with Peter. Later on, Peter wrote a letter. And in that letter, he says, he says uh, be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's stuck with Peter. And he's going, those forces that are against us, they lurk and they roam around and they're ready to pull you away from, from the track that is just, I want to follow Jesus. And so he's saying, we got to be ready because those forces are all around us. Now, now I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. C.S. Lewis says, when it comes to the adversary, people usually fall into one of two errors. Either they take him too seriously or they don't take him seriously enough. It's one of two things. See, a lot of us will just, will, will attribute everything to the opposition to God. We'll attribute everything to that adversary. When I was working on this talk, I was at, I was at Starbucks this last week and the first, you know, I was, I, I tend to spend Wednesdays there for about six hours. And if you come, I'll, I'll visit with you for a second, but then I got to keep working on my sermon. Um, and while I was there, you know, I started having this kind of these belly problems and I kept going into the bathroom. It was like six times I went to the bathroom in, in those six hours. I felt sorry for the people inside at Starbucks. And then later in that day, my phone stopped working and I'm going, dang it, I can't text anybody. And then I can't email anybody. The phone's just not working. I was frustrated with that. The phone wasn't working. And then later that 
that day. I get to the gym to work out and I put all my stuff in a duffel bag and put it in the locker and I locked the lock and I went out to work out. And while I'm on the treadmill, I'm going, where is the key to that lock that I just did? And I'm realizing, oh crap, it's in the, it's in the duffel bag in the locker. And so now I got to get those snips from behind the counter and do that shameful walk to the locker room and bust my, my padlock off, finally get in there. Key's not even in there. I have no idea where the key was at, you guys. People can easily say, man, did Satan have a hold of you that day? You're, you're working on a sermon against Satan and all that stuff happened? I don't know. I think I call that I ate wrong stuff the night before. I have a crappy phone and I'm 53. I think that's what I would say. Where I can't find my glasses because they're on the top of my head so I can't see them. You know, where, I, where I'm looking for my phone and it's in my hand. You know how, that, you, know how you sometimes do that? I, that's fi being 53. So we got to be careful not to just say it's all Satan is doing stuff. All of it. But at the same time, we got to recognize there, is, there are forces against us trying to walk this road with Jesus. Now, now, you still might say, but I just can't wrap my head around Satan, the adversary. And that's all right. You know, it's, Paul is saying there are spiritual forces. And the reason why he's saying that is because it's so powerful that we need the Lord. We need, we can't, you can't do this on your own strength. But, uh, but, but he, so, so even if you can't wrap your head around it, even if we can't understand it, we acknowledge it. We acknowledge that there are, there are lies that come at us every single day. Can we acknowledge the lies that say you're not lovable and the lies that say there's no hope and the lies that say you can't be forgiven and the lies that say you shouldn't move forward and the lies that say you, shouldn't, you should be afraid and the lies that say that you are alone. And that the Bible calls, it says Satan is the king of lies. Can we acknowledge those lies knock us off this track? Can we acknowledge that even if it's hard for you to wrap up spiritual forces, that there are cultural forces, that there are political forces, there are, there are socioeconomic forces, there's interpersonal forces between me and somebody else, there's interpersonal forces within myself. There are lots of things that are pressing against this. And we need something that helps walk us through this. That's what Paul is getting at. You can picture him in chapter four, he writes this. He says, he says, take on, he says, take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into, into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. See, he's looking out at his people in Ephesus and he's going, God is in the midst of reproducing his character in you. That is the word sanctification to grow more and more Christ-like. He is working his character in you. It's not done yet. And man, are there forces that are pressing against that. And you might not be ready to meet those forces that are pressing against it as God is building his character in you. And so he's saying, we have to we can't be passive in, this, in stepping into this. We have, to, we have to be active in saying, we gotta, this is what he's doing, and we got to be receiving that with an active response. He starts writing about it, and he says, man, we got to be strong. We got to be alert. We got to be ready. 
He's saying we got to be strong. He's saying, he's saying this is going to be difficult. This life is going to be difficult. And he, some of it comes from illness and death and some from what others do. Some from our own egos, the forces within us, the forces outside of us. He's saying we need to be strong in that. Because this is the Lord at work and we're going to need some help from the Lord to do it. He says we need to be alert because those forces are prowling around like a lion ready to jump in. And he says we need to be ready because the gospel message is an urgent message. It's not one that just sits there and someday you pick it up. It's one that we have to pick up today. The message of God's love for you and me is an urgent message that we pick up today. That message of now living that out so that somebody else understands the love of God, that is an urgent message that we need to do today. To live it out in a way that looks for the people on the margins and reaches out to the, to the poor and reaches out to those in need, that's an urgent message for today. That's not something that we let sit around. And so Paul is going, man, we got to pick this up. We got to live this out. And you're going to need some help in doing that. So picture this, you guys. He's in prison and he's, and he's in a lot of times they're shackled to the prison guard because they don't want you to run away. So you can picture Paul sitting there with the chain around his wrist, actually attached to the prison guard. And you can picture him looking over at that prison guard going, bro, you, I'm not going to beat you up. You got plenty of, of armor on to take care of this. You can picture him just going, man, you got a belt, you got shoes, you got a helmet, you got a breastplate, you got a sword, you got a shield, you got all you need. And then you can picture him going, oh my gosh, this is exactly what God has given to each one of us. He look, you could picture him looking at him just going, man, he's given us a, a belt of truth and, and, and sandals of, of the peace of the gospel of Jesus. And he's given us a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation, a sword of the spirit, a shield of faith. You could picture him just looking at all of that going, that's what he's given us daily to walk this road, no matter what the forces are against us. And he's saying, if only I can get my people to put it on. That, he's, that you can picture him just looking at him, looking at that stuff and just going, if they would only put on that belt of truth. But what is a belt of truth, you guys? We got to stop asking the question, what is truth? And start asking the question, who is truth? Because 23 times in the Gospel of John, he is over, he's just over and over saying, Jesus is truth. Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth. He is the truth. When he's saying we have a belt of truth around us, he's saying you are basically putting on and recognizing Jesus. you are putting on Jesus. He walks right there with you. And he walks with you into that, bu that business meeting. He walks right through into your loneliness. He walks right into your fear. He's walking with you every day. That's the belt of truth. How much does that change you when you're really putting that on every day? That the belt of truth is right there with us. And so when we're giving into that equation, I've talked to you about a number of times, you know, my performance plus what other people think of me equals my self-worth. And you go, no, no, no. I'm walking with the belt of truth that is Jesus that says he is the one that defines my self-worth. I'm walking with the belt of truth that is Jesus that says I am identified by Jesus. 
I'm walking with the belt of truth that says when I'm alone, he's saying I'm with you. When I feel like I'm always going to be alone, he's saying I will never leave you nor forsake you. We're walking with that belt of truth that says you don't have to fear because I walk with you. And so he's saying, gosh, if we only would put on that belt of truth and recognize we're basically saying Jesus is walking with me. And he's saying, you got to put that belt on because everything else depends on that. It'll fall off if you don't have that belt on. Have you ever walked out of the house forgetting your belt? And you first, you feel like, oh, the pants feel snug enough. You just got them out of the wash and they feel pretty good for the first couple hours. And the rest of your day is pulling up your pants. You ever have that problem? And you're going, if only we would have put that belt on. And he's going, man, put it on. It's holding everything else up. And when you know you're walking with Jesus, he says, and you've got, you've got sandals, you've got your feet are shod with the preparation that comes from the gospel of peace. It's not a gospel of war. It's not a gospel of, of fight. It's not a gospel of win the argument. It's a gospel of peace. You're going to walk because you're walking with Jesus and you're putting that on. When you walk towards that conversation where you're going, I don't want to be in this conversation because I don't know where, I know where this is going to end. I don't want to be in this conversation because I don't want to spend eternity with that person. I don't want to be in this conversation because it's going to get ugly. When you walk with the gospel of peace, you can walk into those conversations and say, this is, this is for you. This is for us. And it is one that isn't trying to win the argument. It's trying to help you to see how much the love of Jesus is a, is a message of peace. So we walk in with that and he says, you've got that. And then he says, you've got the sword of the spirit. And he's going, the sword of the spirit. You guys, if there's anything that's been more abused, it's this one. The church abuses this one. The church will take the sword of the spirit, which they say is the word, which says is the word of God. And you go, this is my weapon. And I get to go and, and to anybody and, and let them have it with this weapon. I'll tell them, here's what it says in here. And man, I'll beat you down with it. I will clobber you with this weapon. I will, I, I will make you feel less because of this weapon. Oh yeah, you think this is it? Look at this weapon. And we, and we yield the weapon that is the sword of the spirit. And we have fully misinterpreted this. Because it is not our sword. It is the spirit's sword. It's the Holy Spirit's sword. And the Holy Spirit is, is Jesus. Lindsay touched on this last week, that three are one, God and Son and the Holy Spirit. And so this is Jesus' weapon. It's the Word of God. And when you squeeze it down, you know, you, know, you got the Play-Doh and you stick it into that little thing and you push it down and the, 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 the pattern comes out the other side. If you press this down, if you just pressed it down, what comes out? You know what comes out? It, what comes out is love your God with your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know what comes out? For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know what drips out when you squeeze into this? You know what comes out? Love. There's 66 love letters to us from God in this book. Love comes out and grace drips out and mercy drips out. Forgiveness drips out. And so the sword of the spirit that is the word of God, 
is love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. That is what, when you press on this thing, that's what comes out. Can you imagine if we entered into conversations, if we entered into this world where things are at us, can you imagine if you walked into it, knowing that Jesus is with you, walking with a gospel of peace and with a sword of mercy and grace? Can you imagine the difference in our conversations? Instead of it being about, I've got a position, I can't wait to win. Can you imagine it? That's the way he's saying we're, we need to come at this world. Now, he's saying you also are going to need a shield of faith because if we're coming at it with love and grace and mercy, we're going to be hit hard from people that are fighting a different fight. And so you're going to need a, a shield, a shield of faith. That shield, you guys, was about four feet tall and about two and a half feet wide. It was made of wood with leather that was stretched all around it, metal at the top, metal at the bottom, and the leather was stretched all around it. The reason that leather was stretched around is because they would dip it into water and it would soak that leather in water. And so when the flaming arrows and the daggers come at them, the, the shield would protect them from the flaming arrows. If we're going to walk with love and grace and mercy, we're going to get the arrows thrown at us as well. I know this. Leading a church, you get arrows, and they are flaming arrows. Most of the time they come through an email, but you get them. And you just go, you read them, and you go, another arrow. And we try to learn from it, but you just go, it's another arrow. Three or four years ago when, the, when COVID first hit, you guys, we decided as a church to put masks on. And the reason why we decided to put masks on is because we just want to honor our neighbors. For anybody that felt like they wanted to, needed to wear a mask, we want to honor our neighbors and we were going to wear masks too. And we we're going to stay separated for a while. And you know what, man, did I get the flaming arrows. How dare, what are you, what, what are we, why are we giving in to the, I got the flaming arrows and all we wanted to do is be good neighbors. A few months later, George Floyd murder happens. And after that murder, we came together and we were saying, man, we got stuff to learn. We gotta, we gotta learn where our blind spots are. We gotta, we gotta learn history. We gotta step further into racial reconciliation. We gotta step further into racial justice. And, and, and while that's gonna feel political, we believe it's just Bible. Well, it's gonna say, well, you went too far one direction. We're going, no, I think we went right into the gospel because the gospel message is one of love and grace for all people equally. And so, so it was one of those moments where we're just going, let's just live into the gospel. And they're not making any statements other than living into the gospel and press into where I might need to learn myself. What's wrong with doing that? We pressed into that. And man, did I get some arrows, <laughs> flaming arrows. When you make decisions around employment, when you make decisions around finances, you make decisions around directions in a church, you're always going to have someone that's the, part of the 2,000-person judge and jury that's going to let throw an arrow at you. You guys, a couple of years ago, I was overwhelmed with it. And I, and I drove, I got into the car, and I just started driving. I've never done this before. It's the closest thing I've had to a breakdown. And I drove, and I drove to North, North Boulder, and I found myself in this cemetery in North Boulder and I just sat there for a few hours in tears, just feeling like, God, I'm, in the, I'm the wrong person for this. And every arrow started to feel, I felt the piercing of each of those arrows. 
And he just thought, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we've done it all wrong. And I don't know. And so I'm sitting there in that moment, and I walked out in that cemetery where two of my very closest friends of mine that were mentors of mine have been buried, Janie Donatucci and Jim Rabin. And I, and I sat there, and I'm just going, what would they say? What would their voices say? And Janie Donatucci's voice, just, just, I could just hear it as clear as day, just say, Bill, honor the gospel. Honor the gospel. Honor the gospel. And then trust that. That's your shield of faith. Your shield of faith is saying, Jesus walks by my side. I walk with a gospel of peace. I have a sword of mercy. And, and, and when the daggers come, will I honor the gospel and trust a faith, trust that Jesus walks with us in this? It's a shield of faith. And then there's a couple other ones, a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation. It's a breastplate of righteousness that was a breastplate do. It covers, it, it covers our hearts. It covers how we, our lungs, how we breathe. We need a breastplate of righteousness and that righteousness is just a right relationship with Jesus. If you want to know a simple way to understand righteousness, it's just a right relationship with Jesus. He has declared us to be in that right relationship with Jesus. And in declaring that right relationship, here's what he's saying. He is saying, no matter, you, you might have the perfect relationship with your spouse or the perfect relationship with your sibling or the perfect relationship with your best friend. Multiply that by a hundred and that's my relationship with you. And I walk with you. There is nothing we have to hide. There's nothing I don't want. I want access to all of it because I will treat you not with judgment and condemnation, but encouragement and walk with you in it. The decisions that you make that you're afraid of Jesus seeing, he's saying, man, I'm walking right with you in it. That's why he wants access to the way we date somebody. That's why he wants access to the way we, we, we're, we're treating our spouse, access to the way we're, we're, we're spending our money. He wants to do all those things because he's going, I just want to walk with you. I have a, this is a perfect relationship that's been made perfect through the cross. And I want to walk with you in it. And will you recognize that perfect relationship through the breastplate of righteousness? And then finally, you put that helmet on, the helmet of salvation that protects your head, that protects your mind, that says there's nothing in this world, in this day, that will separate me from the love of Jesus and the promise of salvation with him for eternity. Nothing will take me away from that. And that is that helmet of salvation. See, Paul sees all of that. And he, and he, and he says, he says, um, he, he says, he says, truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation, they're more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them through your life. Now, you know, now I was thinking about that and I'm just going, how foolish would it be if we didn't use them daily? I was, I was thinking a present-day version of this is, is, is a catcher in baseball, okay? Oh, gosh, I can't open this. Is a catcher in baseball, and I was thinking about it. There's a chest protector, and there is a helmet, and there, is, there, are, there are shin guards, okay? And there is, there is a, a, a glove. And I didn't bring the cup, but you need that too, okay? So, so a catcher has all this stuff to help protect him, all this stuff. Tell me how foolish it would be if you're on that baseball team and the catcher is getting ready, to, the, you just finished that top of that inning, now it's your turn to go out in the field and the catcher grabs his glove and says, I'm good, I'm good, I don't need that stuff. And he gets ready to get that pitch and the pitch comes in and it bounces in, hits him in the chest, he can't even breathe. 
He dro- they drop a slider and it bounces in the dirt and hits him in the chest. He can't breathe. What do we do? We blame the pitcher. What are you, what are you bouncing in for? I can't breathe. And the reality is, he just didn't put on the equipment. He didn't put on the stuff. You guys that are old baseball fans know what this stuff is called, right? Who knows what this is called? It's called what? I'm going to ask a question. Who knows what the catcher's equipment's called? The tools of ignorance. You know why it's called the tools of ignorance? Because in the 1930s, when they first had this stuff for catchers, People looked at it and said, how foolish do you got to be? How ignorant do you got to be to choose a position that needs that much protection? (laughs) Truly, that's how they call it. And it's been the tools of ignorance ever since then. Paul is saying, we don't have a choice of position. He's saying the forces are against us. He's saying we need to put on every bit of this every day. And we need to be reminded of each one of them. He's saying every day we need to be reminded of a belt of, tr- of, of Jesus walking with us. We need to be reminded of a, of a gospel that is a gospel of peace, a sword of mercy, a shield of trust, a breastplate of a perfect right relationship and a helmet of hope that comes because no one can take us from that salvation. We need to put that on daily because the, the forces will say, you are not good, you are nothing, you are pathetic. After what you did, you think God still loves you. You can never make a difference. He'll never use you. Your marriage will always be bad. You will never be a good parent. You're too old to have any value. You'll always be sick. You'll never get out of debt. You need a protective armor that says you are beloved, now go love. Put them on and be ready for a battle. Put them on because this is an urgent message. We have to learn to live in love. We have to receive that love and we have to give that love and we have to find that unity. This is an urgent message. Put on the armor. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, you go one chapter back and it's one of the coolest verses in all of scripture. Watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you and memorize this, keep company with him and learn a life of love. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything in himself to us. Love like that. Love like that, no matter what forces push against you, love like that. And the only way that we'll be able to do it is that every day we either choose to let it just sit there, we put it on recognize that gift that the Lord's given us. Father, I pray that we would hold on to that. I pray that we would step into it. And we pray that, that, that when those forces are against us, we would recognize you are with us. God, we, we, we thank you for that gift. It's in your name we pray. Amen.